Today is July 23rd, 2018, and you're listening to Human Factors Cast episode 99. We're so close, guys. We're going to do it. Everyone's agreeing from AI to VR to data. We'll talk about all these and more on today's Human Factors Cast. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. Mr. Blake Arnsdorf is out this week, but I am joined today by our newest Human Factors Cast cast and crew member, Mr. Jeff Olson. We got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about DeepMind, Elon Musk, and more pledging not to uh, make some of these uh, autonomous AI weapons. We got a VR standard coming our way, The you know Facebook and Google. They're uniting on data, and the Senate wants emergency alerts to go out through Netflix. And a little later, we're going to talk about whether or not you should delay your education for a better internship. We'll be back to break it all down right after this. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc., we're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. Okay, we're back. Okay, so Jeff, you are here. You're hanging out with me. Uh, Blake is gone this week, but I want to know, well, I guess our listeners probably want to know, who are you? <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Jeff. Uh, I know Nick from college we met in college we both went to cal state san marcos and uh i went there i got a bachelor's degree in psychology we met in a psychology uh, health psychology lab um and then over the years a few years later we reconnected um i was currently um getting well i was currently trying to switch careers into doing video and photo editing. Currently, what I'm doing now is I'm a speech uh, therapist assistant. And then also I did a few years of ABA therapy for kids with autism. So that's kind of my general psychology background, not necessarily with human factors, but it is a psychology background nonetheless. So yeah, I um, mean, I, I think you're totally qualified to be here. And in fact, that's one reason why I roped you in specifically is because uh, we did want to welcome you to the Human Factors cast, cast and crew. Last week, we actually announced that we are going to be moving to the video format starting on episode 100. Um, and you are the guy. You are the guy that is going to help us do that. Uh, and I wanted to talk with you. So, like, what can our listeners kind of expect with this YouTube um, uh, format? Like, uh, what kind of things can they see that they don't get here on the audio podcast? And then uh, when can we start to see that stuff. Oh, absolutely. So just to clarify, um, I am a 
self-taught video photo editor in training. So I'm teaching myself the online uh, tutorials and such and practicing uh, using my hobbies and passions and stuff as practice. So for this, uh, this I consider this kind of like an internship like practice. So I'm doing this uh, for, for free. So I'm helping him out. I'm gonna give your uh, little channel a, a makeover. I'm, I'm gonna make it look real pretty. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, move everything to a video format. So that means we'll be able to upload a video to YouTube. Uh, there's gonna be it's gonna have the camera on uh, Nick and Blake or whoever else is here. Um, so we'll have a camera there. We'll have like fancy pants intros, which I think some of you already got a sneak peek of, of a. Uh, intro in progress or it's yeah. pretty much yeah, our, that, our, uh, with, with a few minor changes our patreon um, subscribers got that excellent so also uh there'll be like uh transitions title cards all kinds of fun stuff uh some intros and stuff for certain segments on the podcast it'll be fun i'm gonna make it uh pretty we also talked a lot earlier before this podcast about some minor changes and other stuff. So I've made a little longer list of things that I've got to do. And it sounds like I might have uh, a couple of weeks to actually get that done. I think the first episode 100 is not coming out for a couple of weeks. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll get into programming notes here in just a minute. I just want to make one more point. So you said we were getting all this stuff. And, and one of the primary reasons that we wanted to move to the video format again was because we do talk about a lot of stuff on the show that, we describe in great detail, but sometimes describing it doesn't quite do it justice. So we'll have a lot of these clips and more for you to uh, kind of view on the video format. Like I said last week, we are not going away from the audio format. We are still going to produce that as its own thing. If you're subscribed to this, if you're subscribed to this uh, feed already, you're still going to get Human Factors Cast in your feed. I just want to let you all know that that is going to be a format in which you can view it going forward. Uh, I just we we all thought that it was a great way to kind of expand the brand, if you will. Uh, didn't mean to rhyme, but you know it's it's there. So so we can expect that. Uh, like I said, programming notes last week. We're gonna hold off on next week because Blake will still be out. We're kind of reconvening uh, for the uh, 100th episode on August. What is it? Sixth August? Yeah, August sixth. You'll get our hundredth episode. We'll be back for video, um, and have a couple surprises along the way. Uh, Jeff, I want to talk about fan edits. Are you familiar with these? Um, kind of. Be more specific. Okay, so so a fan <laughs> edit is basically when uh, some person. I think maybe I've talked about this on the show before. I'm not sure. Maybe our listeners can correct me. If I'm wrong or right or whatever, uh, fan edits are basically when a fan goes through a film and pairs it down in a way that makes sense to them, uh, be it doing different cuts at different times um, or combining material. And over the weekend, um, I guess it must have been Friday night, I went and, uh, well, hang on, let me say one more thing. Uh, both Jeff and I are, are pretty big Star Wars fans here, and on Thursday, they released some news that was pretty exciting to us. They they announced that they're going to continue uh, the Clone Wars series, which was we, we all thought was going to be gone forever, never to be finished. Um, there was some drama around it being canceled by Cartoon Network. Anyway, so they announced that is coming back. So, of course, I, I hung out with a buddy of mine on Friday evening, and we watched a fan edit 
of some of the Clone Wars movie or the Clone Wars TV show edited together as a movie. And I I just thought it was like super novel to have sort of these disparate experiences, right? You think about a TV show, edit that together into like a movie. And uh, it just felt seamless, and it was it was really great. It was we had a great time watching it and dissecting it and um, trying to figure out where the seam lines were. Have you have you seen any of these fan edits, Jeff? Yes. Yeah, so I think mostly in the context of YouTube, for example, most fan edits kind of uh, come together as a compilation of uh, clips, um, which is super helpful depending on what the topic is. But as far as these kind of fan edits in regards to movies, I think they're definitely fun. Uh, they're definitely good and almost necessary sometimes. Uh, a lot of people, if they're dissatisfied with the way like a video, a big video production team or something edited it together, uh, fans will usually take it to their in, into their own hands uh, to change it in a way that is a little more um, concise with the lore and so to speak, or maybe just put it together in a way that makes sense. So I know, I think there's probably one of like the last Jedi, for example, which was a bit controversial with fans hating or loving it. Um, so to have a fan edit of something like that makes a whole lot of sense. Oh, it was a ton of fun too. Maybe, maybe I'll invite you next time. Uh, we watch more of them cause there's, there's a, a good chunk of them as, as it's being a, a TV series. Um, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it's a great time. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll invite you next time. Uh, so <laughs> we have uh, just a couple programming notes. Like I said, Blake is out this week and next. So we are uh, going to be off next week. We're taking the 30th off. Um, like I said, we're going to be back for episode 100. I already said all that. Moving on to events, we will have a bonus episode for you sometime next week. I think it's going to be Wednesday looking like for AHFE International. That's going on in Orlando, Florida uh, this week. Um, so uh, so look forward to that on Wednesday. We have, um, let's see, we got HFES International 2018. That's in Philly. And that's going to happen from October 1st to October 5th. Be sure to go check out those plenary speakers. Uh, please attend their talks. It's it's nothing but good stuff there. Um, also, we mentioned the silent auction on the show. You can uh, do this creative work and donate for, um, you know, all the proceeds are going to people who have never, uh, for scholarships, who have people for people who have never been to HFES before. So it's all a good cause. Uh, go check that out. Link is in the show notes. And then we also have HFES Australia coming to Perth, and that's November 26th through 28th. Like I said, we should have coverage from all of these events. All right, Jeff, what do you think? We should we should get into some news, right? I think it's about time for the news. All right, let's get into Human Factors News. This is the part of the show all about, you guessed it, Human Factors News. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors, psychology, or design. This could be anything from medical, transportation, whatever it is. You know, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. As long as it relates to the field of human factors, it's fair game. So, Jeff, what do we have up first this week? Well, the first thing that I see here in these notes that I'm totally not reading. Deep Mind, Elon Musk, and more pledge not to make autonomous AI weapons. Holy, uh, can I, I just read the whole thing? Yeah, just read the whole thing. Excellent. Earlier this week, during the joint conference on artificial intelligence, the Future of Life Institute announced that more than 2,400 individuals and 160 companies and organizations have signed a pledge declaring that they will neither participate nor support the development manufacture, trade, 
or use of lethal autonomous weapons. Um, the people signing, representing 90 countries, also call on governments to pass laws such as weapons, such as weapons. Google, DeepMind, and the X Prize Foundation are among the groups who've signed on, while other notable figures such as Elon Musk have made the pledge as well. So this, th okay, so let's break this down. So basically, a, a lot of companies got together and they said, enough is enough. I don't know if you've been following all the drama, Jeff, but but uh, a lot of, so there's a thing with Google a couple weeks ago, months ago, I don't know at this point, uh, where some of its employees kind of said enough is enough. I don't want to work on this government program that they're contracting us to do. Um, like, uh, I think it's called Project Maven. Uh, but basically, these employees didn't want to work on this contract. And um, it's it's all having to, excuse me, it's all having to do with uh, artificial intelligence and using it for weaponry. And so this is this is a great step in the right direction for these companies to get together and say, uh, look, we're not going to we're not going to do this. Now, what does this mean for other companies, right? They, these are big companies setting an example, but that doesn't mean everyone's going to do it. What are, what are your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Oh, boy. Well, I think there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I might take a step back uh, to kind of what the the spark, what, what sparked all of this anti-AI for weapons movement and such. I think it, um, in such video games, such as Detroit Become Human, you can, they kind of explore things like AI. Um, I, I guess uh, here, how do I break this down? Um, let's bring it back further. I think there's a lot of people who are kind of scared that AI will one day get um, more intelligent and be able to hurt humans. And then also with this right now, where we are is that people can fly unmanned drones and people are scared that we're going to take technology where a robot will be able to have weapons make decisions on who what people to kill and what people not to kill and it's a very scary road to go down so a lot of people are saying hey let's how about we don't do that because um if you have a human controlling weapons it's a lot easier for a human to make a decision of like oh no that's an ally we shouldn't shoot them or oh that's a child we can't hurt them there's something like that for right. example um, so there's a deep fear that's kind of grown around that. See, this, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to jump in here and say, I'm of two minds on this one. And it's kind of difficult to talk about only because I work in the defense industry and I don't want to overstep bounds. But where is the line for these companies, right? Like this, this is a big question that I have is where is the line for these companies? Are you, because you can make artificial intelligent systems for let's say um, weapons, but but also efficiency of weapons. So if you think about um, designing an artificial intelligent system that aids the human in performing their killing task, right, or or uh, their their weaponry task. Um, Basically, what I'm trying to say here is actually providing artificial intelligent systems on weapons that could reduce the number of casualties involved 
could potentially be a good thing, right? Because, I mean, you're still taking a life, but then you're like trying to mitigate all the life that you're not taking from casualties. Like, it's a really tricky area to navigate, right? Are, are, I guess my question is, are they just saying outright, we're not going to get anywhere close to this? Um, the, I mean, the, let's let's look over the statement really quick. The, they are, um, let's see, where, where was it? It was, uh, uh, they will not neither participate nor support the development, manufacture, or trade, or use of lethal autonomous weapons. So lethal autonomous weapons for me is the ambiguous term that I'm talking about. Because like I said, right, it, you don't have to design the system that actually eliminates another human life but if you are designing a system that could perhaps inform uh how to reduce casualties like it's just such a complex issue i i'm of two minds and i can't like i i i'm flustered (laughs) i'm flustered i i get what you're saying i think i have a good analogy for that that uh ambiguous line that you were talking about when you drive a car, a lot of cars nowadays have computers to help regulate the electronics and the way things run on the inside. So for, uh, there's, there's a thing in my car that will control like, uh, how fast the idle speed is. There's a computer that will help me or help my car gauge how fast it should be idling. And that will determine how much it like shakes. So it has a computer that will regulate based on a bunch of different stuff. So that's, um, is essentially like a harmless little mechanical thing inside of your car. I think the difference between having something that could like help um, a military or a weapon be more efficient versus actually killing someone is like the difference between a something to help your car's regulator um, or your car regulate how fast the RPM is going versus a car with a computer that drives itself. So these are two very different things. So does that make any sense? Yeah, but I mean, even with your analogy, there are varying degrees of that, right? Because you have sort of these uh, technologies that are like adaptive cruise control. That's, in a sense, taking some sort of automation, uh, That that's taking some task away from the human with um, the stop and go pedals, right? Do you know what I mean by adaptive cruise control? Yeah, yeah. So... so I, you're right. So it sounds like the that line, even for the analogy, gets blurred quite easily. So when it is applied with weapons and such, I'm sure that the line there gets very blurry just in the same way. Yeah, I guess I guess, you know, my my kind of closing thoughts on this one is if you're designing a system, uh, I have no closing thoughts because I still am going back and forth. I cannot I and I have. I've thought I about this. Closing thought. <laughs> I, my closing thought is I've thought a lot about this and I still have no answer. So I don't know <laughs> how these companies are going to address sort of these ambiguous contracts. And I'm curious what our listeners think. Please, please, please chime in on this one in the Slack. I really want to know. All right. I'd Jen- <laughs> love to look at that too. Um, also, um, if, if I were to play devil's advocate, or, or just maybe even more ridiculous scenario. How about, well, get this. What if we just go all in and say, just go in and just say, yes, this is all okay and regulate it. And then essentially every country is going to make their own killer robots. And then instead of having them fight humans, we'll have them fight each other. 
and then it'll just be like a gigantic international battle bot convention. We'll put them in a giant arena with flamethrowers, and it'll be sick. And that's how wars will be won. All right. Well, why don't we get into the next story here? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next story. Here we go. VR standard promises to end at... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Whoa there. VR standard promises an end to headset connector headaches. If you've used a wired VR headset, you probably know the connector situation is inconsistent and messy. You frequently have to plug multiple cables into your PC, which is space consuming at best and potentially impractical if you have a laptop. That might not be quite such a thorn in your side if a handful of tech industry leaders have their way. AMD, Microsoft, Nvidia, Oculus, and Valve have unveiled Virtual Link, an open standard that would whittle VR headset connections down to a single USB-C cable. It could it would take advantage of the newer port format to deliver four lanes of display port video, USB data for cameras and sensors, and 27 watt of power. So that's not much. It's optimized for VR2, promising low lag and a highly optimized path that would enable the next generation of headsets. So, okay, I, I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but I'm kind of the VR guy. Um, <laughs> Uh, I went first. I went to school for VR. I study VR. I'm pretty engrossed. There for a second, sorry. Oh, sorry. I, I I am the VR guy. I'm I'm kind of engrossed in all aspects of VR. Um, this to me is really awesome because way back when I got my Oculus development kit too, uh, there were a lot of cables, and I mean, you know, they streamlined it to two, but at the same time, uh, it was it, it was still kind of cumbersome. I don't know. I I get the need for this and i'm glad that this is kind of the first step i'm also kind of curious to see where they're going next if they're going to standardize being able to connect down a single USB-C cable can they standardize on refresh rates can they standardize on um some of the other specs that uh virtual reality headsets have that can provide a better experience for people overall when they're using them my first question for you, Jeff, is have you ever have you ever been in VR? Have you ever used any of these VR headsets? I have actually I've never used a single one. I've seen people use them and it looks like fun. I think some of them, or maybe even a lot of them, kind of look maybe it depends on the game, but a lot of the games I've seen look kind of stupid. Honestly, like it's it's still kind of a new field that's being developed. And so I think this change here with this this cable is just a, one more step to help simplify everything. Hopefully, it will just be a, a nice, simple solution, and that maybe even, as you said, those other things like refresh rates, that can all get standardized eventually so that this whole VR experience can be ironed out more and then also grow in a direction where it can be more immersive. Yeah, I think that's great. I'm I'm curious. So we talk a lot about on the show about, you know, you mentioned games, and that's kind of the general perception right now is that VR is being used for gaming. Uh, and it might just be our spheres of influence uh, personally, but um, on the show, we tend to talk a lot more about some of the practical applications like being a, a, a telecommuting a surgeon um, to operate on somebody in Africa. Um, you know, like that kind of technology is is really cool. And if you think about that application of VR, it's a little different, at least in my mind. 
Um, and I'm, I'm curious for you as someone who's not experienced virtual reality, what your perception of it is. You kind of said it, it, it's kind of stupid. Um, but you know, what kind uh, what do you imagine you would see if you were to put on this headset? Like that's kind of, um, <laughs> it's, it's a surreal moment for me, at least it, it was. And, uh, <laughs> I, I'm so sort of involved with it now that I take it for granted and i just i, I want to live vicariously through you maybe i'll have you over someday and you can uh <laughs> you can check out some of my vr headsets <laughs> and play with them that sounds like fun um i think you're right i made a an assumption of like that's kind of what i've mostly seen since i use youtube a lot i just saw all those let's players and everything making videos about like the games that they play with virtual reality but there are definitely more general applications for it. I know like Facebook, for example, bought, uh, which one did they buy? Oculus. They bought Oculus. Yeah. So they bought Oculus. So they definitely have plans for it as well. So there's tons of tons of applications. Like you said, like interviews, uh, or I mean like meetings and such, I think like, um, tours would make a lot of sense. Virtual tourism places like that. Someone's going to do that. That's going to happen. Like, Oh, go explore or go hiking just kind of like walk around in this virtual reality um, with like videos and stuff like that. That'd be super, super fun. There's all kinds of cool things. So it's definitely got a ton of potential, um, but it's still in the early stages. I just, I just really hope that it's going to go in a direction uh, that will help us grow and become more realistic. Um, I definitely think it is the future. Um, It needs to develop more though yeah i agree i i'd be curious to get your take on it after you uh try it again and see if it turns you into sort of an optimist or uh or if it you know turns up the pessimism and you know kind of turns you away from the idea if you see sort of the state that they're in right now the thing that intrigues me about um, well i guess pretty much most of these stories this week is that we have these competing um, companies and and people that are basically saying, hey, let's work together to standardize these things. Let's work together to provide some value to the end user and let's wow. let's make it easy, right? Because you have AMD, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and sure, there's partnerships within those, Oculus, Valve, um, but they're all working together. And in the previous story, we have like uh, Google DeepMind and Elon Musk, who's doing his own thing, and and just a, a a bunch of different companies coming together. And our next story too, we'll talk about it too. But Facebook, Google, Twitter, Microsoft, all working together too. It's, it's all kind of crazy to me. Um, but uh, do you have any other closing stories or closing thoughts on the uh, the VR stuff? Um, I guess the last thing was uh, along the lines of what you said. It's very surprising to see all these people coming together because usually it's the opposite where everyone's going to have their own special cable and all the, with this exclusivity and then they can monetize it. Um, so and it's, it's nice and refreshing to see that they're working together and I hope that keeps up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we move on, I just want to thank all of our friends over at Engadget and TechCrunch for all of our stories this week. If you guys want to follow along with us, uh, follow us on social media or join us on Slack to the, for links to the original articles. We do post those as we find them. Um, so, all right, we got two more stories, Jeff. So let's go ahead and jump into the next one. <coughs> all right. 
Facebook, Google, and more unite to let you transfer data between apps. The Data Transfer Project is a new team up between tech giants to let you move your content, contacts, and more across apps. Funded by Facebook, Google, Twitter, Microsoft, and the DTP revealed its plans for an open source data portability platform any online service can join. While many companies already let you download your information, that's not very helpful if you can't easily upload it somewhere else. Whether you want to evacuate a social network that you hate, back up your data somewhere different, or bring your digital identity along with, along when you try a new app, uh, the DTP's tool isn't ready for use yet, but the group laid out a white paper for how it will work. So this is really cool. This is continuing the, the discussion from the previous story. All these companies are coming together to help the end user, right? They want to solve this problem of moving your data between apps, right? The, the, I'd imagine it's all your... Uh, this is me being a little cynical here. I'm imagining that when you transfer everything, uh, they're all working together to get your data so they can sell it to other people. But that's just my, <laughs> that's like my cynic side, right? But at the same time, they're making it very easy for you to transport like, uh, well, who knows what kind of information I didn't actually have a chance to look at the white paper, but, um, presumably you could take like all your profile information. So your relationship status, your birthday, your um, age, sex, uh, location, all that stuff. Just, just bring it over to another um, thing. And those are not terribly difficult to uh, put in, but the, to a new uh, social, social networking site. But the th thing that's interesting to me is that, um, a lot of programs already go, hey, do you want to use Facebook to sign into this thing? Because we can just get that data from that. So I, I don't know how this breaks down and is different from that. And um, other than, you know, pulling it out and providing it yourself, um, or if this is some sort of unified tool, this data transfer project, if it's a tool where you basically manage all your accounts and the thing that's... Uh, most appealing to me is if you make a change on one account and it applies it across all of them. That would be sort of the um, the piece for me that would be most appealing. I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? That would be that definitely be great. And I think it also depends on what kind of data is being transferred. Uh, it is the cynical part does kind of go to I, I honestly like the first thing I thought when I saw this story was like, what kind of data are they transferring? Like, what kind of data do they have? Like, I know I give them, like, you, everyone clicks the box or read the terms in, of agreement. You know, right. It's the biggest lie. Nobody reads them. Um, so I think a lot of people um, might even say, well, might just have that moment and just stop and think, well, wait, what kind of data do they have? What are they transferring? Like, I'd like to look at it. Can Is there, like, a little PDF it can poop out and let me see what data that like they have right um so it might it might concern some people if, if they have access to see what kind of data they have and you can just pull it up on demand and uh that might concern some people or they might want to say well can i edit this um i don't know if that's going to be possible to come out of this but i think that's the kind of, that's the first thing i thought when reading this yeah, I mean, the article specifies some of this information, like uh, porting playlists and music streaming services to health data and fitness trackers. Um, 
even fo- uh, photos and videos uh, that could be all transferred to. Uh, they make a point that this could be really big for startups who require a lot of this information and go their own way on this type of data, right? I mean, these kind of huge tech giants already have sort of this big advantage by working together. Um, but, Although that sounds really nice at first, uh, my other red flag pops up and I'm like, well, now it's like the big companies are all ganging together to be able to uh, make this huge decision about like how startups can are. It's like they're controlling another aspect of startups. I don't think I, so. I, I think it's the opposite. I think if you have this tool, right, that allows users to have control over their data and a startup, all they need to do is plug into that tool and say, hey, look, I just need your data that you can get from these other platforms that you're already tied to. Uh, and we can do our own startup-y thing with it, um, then I think it'll be a lot easier for them to sell that service if they have a way to get that data. Hmm. As long as the big companies aren't able to band together to make big decisions about who gets data and maybe what kind of data they give to those companies, right. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it gets messy. I, I agree, right? Me. There is some like proprietariness with data, right? Like um, Facebook's is how many likes you got on a status or something, and Twitter is how many tweets you've made. Uh, these types of things are proprietary, and potentially there 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 is a worry that they could hold those behind, um, you know, before they push it out to this app. And, and not make it readily available. I don't know. It it just seems kind of um, not in line with the with the mission statement of this um, uh, project. You know, to, to to hide stuff behind. Because like, if you think about it, think about it this way, man. Like all these all these startups, right? So Facebook, Google, Twitter, Microsoft, they share all the data. They share everything. They don't they don't leave anything behind. Facebook puts out all the likes and whatnot. A startup comes along and says, oh, I can figure something out if I take Facebook's this and Google's this. Um, and Facebook sees that and they're like, oh, we want to buy this company because they are doing something with our data that we didn't know we could do. So then that startup is successful in a sense because Facebook has bought them. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for success from these big like these companies have these big companies have a lot to gain from sharing information um and the fact that they're making it easy for the user is just crazy like again the overarching theme with all these is that they're these companies are banding together to make it easier for the person it sounds like a good thing and i hope i hope i hope so Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> okay, we got one more story. Why don't we go ahead and get into it? <clears throat> Senate wants emergency alerts to go out through Netflix, Spotify, etc. An emergency alert goes out, trying to let you know about incoming bad news, a missile, a tsunami, or something else terrifying. Your phone starts shouting, but it's downstairs. A warning ticker pops on TV if you're watching cable, but you've got your eyes glued to Netflix or Hulu, or whatever online streaming service, should these services, with their ever-increasing ownership of our screen time, be prepped to broadcast these warnings? Senators in Hawaii and South Dakota think so. Having just introduced a bill 
the Reliable Emergency Alert Distribution Improvement, or READY, Act that would explore broadcasting alerts to online streaming services such as Netflix and Spotify, amongst other changes to the emergency alert system. So you, you've been following along with the Hawaii stuff, right? Like you, you were aware of what happened in Hawaii with the missile launch? And the yes, false I alarm. heard about that. So I think one thing that could have mitigated that, obviously, is the design of the actual interface that launched the error message and the process behind the whole getting it resolved uh, was a mess as well. But one thing that um, one thing that happened, or at least uh, eyewitness accounts, were uh, everyone got something on their phone. Uh, they all got a buzz. And um, obviously they blasted it out to the the TV channels and whatnot. But a lot of people who were watching Netflix or Hulu or whatever the streaming service presumably didn't get it, right? They still had their phones, potentially. Um, but, like, what if your phone's in another room? What if you turn it off while you watch TV? The whole point of this bill is to, um, uh, you know, elevate these emergency warnings to people who are viewing things. And now I'm wondering... Where are they going to stop with this? They're, they're, they're talking about these visual mediums, but could it be possible that in every audio player, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, whatever it is, if you're listening to a podcast, does it then say, hey, we interrupt your Human Factors cast to tell you there's a missile incoming? Um, you know, I have no problem with that. Like, I to be upfront, I have zero problem with that. Um because I think it's absolutely necessary in a situation where you have to get information out there, right? I just wonder how loosely are they defining these because the more places that a warning is, the higher likelihood that lives will be saved. Um, you know, I can, I can think of especially like uh, at-risk populations um, that may not have all the same technology that other people have, right? Uh, but but might be sharing TV with others around. Um, Not necessarily watching TV, but streaming things. It makes them just get messages to where the people are, wherever they have their attention. And um, I had to evacuate immediately or just grab what I could and let leave. Uh, it's like only seven acres or something or 11 acres. Fairly small, but... Um, I don't know, like... Oh, yeah, I was. I was. The big California fires. Like, I got tons and tons of emergency alerts on my phone, and it was well, but those are for fire, something like that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the questions I'm asking here, is where where does it stop? Well, uh, are there any potential, like, side of, or, uh, of any... People get mad because Stranger Things was... You no, know, it's cool. I, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> I talk about here, other than, good job, let's get it packed, let's get it through, let's let's start putting in the infra... Uh, emergency alerts to all those who need it when they need it as soon as they can. All right. Yeah. Otherwise it'll just be like natural selection. Those who don't have their phones on them. <laughs> will right. Not make it. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then, yeah, it's then only people who have phones are going to, it's like, it, it's a, a increasing the gap, whatever. Anyway. All right. Let's get into Reddit. It's time for Reddit. That's right. It came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community is talking about. So any subreddit is fair game as long as it relates to human factors and encourages discussion among the community. Uh, 
so let's we got one today jeff what's it? this one here is um from the user experience subreddit uh looks like it was uh written in by xenaxia xenaxia i guess uh and and xenaxia writes uh should i delay my university for a better internship they go on to write so i made a mistake i thought i'd get an internship rather easily but I've been denied every time. It's rather late, too. All the companies already have an intern now. The some that don't have any are probably companies where I won't learn as much. Uh, so the question, instead of starting in September, should I start in February? The con will be a delay of my study. The pro will be a much better portfolio, thus hopefully getting a better internship as well. So, uh, okay, let's, what do you think, Jeff? I'm, I'm, I'm holding back on this one. <laughs> I'm going to give sort of like just general advice and pros and cons of both. And then I'll try to apply that to this person's situation. So let's see. Uh, did it say what this person is studying? Um, uh, presumably user experience or UX or something along those lines. Okay. Uh, so generally internships, like having that kind of extra work experience is always good on your portfolio. And it also depends on what kind of thing you're going to study. So if you're doing something like teaching, um, or here, let, let me do it this way. So if you're doing like video photo editing, that's more hey. of a portfolio based uh, career. So when you go to apply for an internship or a job at some sort of place that needs a video or photo editor, what they always ask you is, all right, let me see your portfolio. Let me see what examples of work that you've done. Um, what, let me see examples of things that you've done with clients. Uh, it definitely looks better if you have like, oh, I went to school for uh, videography or something and I have, uh, did that for two years and I have a degree. Like that obviously looks great. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to that portfolio. They want to see what you've done and what you can do. So in a, in a career like that, that's highly important. And in which case, if it was something like that, I'd say go for the internship, uh, get some uh, work done so that you can uh, show people. But um, certain careers, that might not be the case. So I guess for like psychology, yeah, working in labs and stuff, that's great. But also you do need to take those courses and get degrees and stuff. There are certain check boxes that you, or certain boxes you need checked before you can, you're even uh, qualified to do stuff. So sometimes it's good just to be able to knock out university and get that out of the way and then start hitting the internships and stuff, uh, which it'll, you'll be able to nail more internships since you have a degree. So it's kind of, you could go both ways. There's definitely the positives and negatives for both. Uh, as far as this person with UX research, so since I don't have, I don't know a whole lot about the field, but it sounds like it says it's all rather late too. All companies already have an intern. All the companies that I wanted already have an intern now. The some that don't have any are probably companies I won't learn as much from. Um, I honestly, I I think it's better to get internships and such from places that you want to work at. It's better to get relatable experience because the worst thing is to be able to work somewhere where after you're done working there, you're like, well, I learned a lot about that, but I, not really what I, I where I wanted to go. Like it's, it's helped me, but I kind of wish, I don't know, I felt like maybe it was kind of a waste of time. Um, so 
in this person's case, I might just go for studying, but well, even in that, I, I just, I, I can keep going about this. Like as, as I know, far as right? like university, cause you could get, I might say, Oh, just go for classes. If you're not going to learn much from an internship, but then if you get in classes, I mean, a lot of colleges, you'll, you're, you have to take requirements and there's certain required classes you have to take. And a lot of times they're not even classes you're in, you're interested in, or you might not learn things that are applicable. So that also it, it's, man it's like damned if you do damned if you don't um yeah let me let me break down a couple sort of um unknowns here right we don't know whether or not they're starting their advanced degree or whether or not they're starting their um you know undergrad or what i'm assuming that they're talking about an advanced degree at some point i would say sort of uh you're right jeff the the, the there's so many intricacies with a question like this because People put value on that piece of paper that says, hey, you've done this uh, coursework and you've got your degree and all that. And But especially in some lines of field, uh, you know, it, it it's becoming more commonplace that you'll have sort of these certificates or these certificate programs that carry just as much weight um, for, for the amount of research that you get. Um, so... Where I was going with that is that there's always going to be some value on education, and education will probably take longer. If you're looking for a portfolio, you can build that while you're going to school. Um, we talk about on the show a lot about how you can just twist the things that you are working on to work in your favor, right? Let's say you're working on a project and you put a spin on it to be more user researchy, right? Let's say you're doing a research project or something and um, you can you can put that spin on it. As long as you're interacting with people, you can put that spin on it. So there's a lot here. I would say ultimately start your, start your school. Uh, that's going to get you further in the long run. You get done sooner. Um, and you can grab some internships along the way. And in terms of companies that you feel like you won't learn as much, I don't think that's necessarily true. I applied to several companies that I didn't feel like I was super happy about, uh, to begin with. But then once I started there, uh, I learned a tremendous amount and, uh, do not regret accepting those internships one bit. Um, it's, it's a, it's a tricky situation to kind of write, write companies out, even though, you know, they're not necessarily doing the same work that you wish to do because it's all about the experience and, and Jeff's right in the sense that if you're doing something like bringing somebody coffee, that's one thing. But if you're just not, if you're ruling out these companies because they're not doing the things that you want, I would, uh, argue to exercise caution against that way of thinking um yeah i don't know i think think you're definitely right i think we're in consensus about uh quite a lot i think probably the best course of action for him might be to continue schooling and then he can build uh his portfolio along the way like twist things or find other opportunities for part-time type stuff uh i think he can build that along the way uh it's a lot of work but he's got to get it all done anyway or he, he or she, or I don't know, they, they, um, and then also with, um, and even if they, 
I know we're saying like, oh, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But if you go to the university route, that looks like a good deal. But also if they decide to just hunker down and try to do some internship type stuff and get experience that way, um, as Nick said, you can do an internship and then learn all kinds of new stuff. It really depends on your perspective and how hard you're working or what you're looking for. So either way, even though it seems like it might be damned if you do damned if you don't either way, it's also uh, good. So it's a good problem to have. Yeah. So it, I don't think it's, it's not so hopeless if you look at it that way, it could be good either way, either decision you make. So rather than like losing sleep on it, you might say, well, no matter what I do, as long as I have a level head about it and work hard about getting good experience, learning from all this, I'm going to come out on top no matter what I choose. That's an incredibly positive note to end out on, Jeff. Thank you for that. That's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the stories this week. If you're a Patreon supporter, we don't have any after shows this week because Blake's out, but we'll get those to you soon. For the rest of you, you can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at H-Factors Podcast. Be sure to drop us a comment on our SoundCloud. Send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 901-646-1432. That's 901-646-1HFC. Be sure to like, subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Uh, if you want to join the after show party, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash humanfactorscast. And of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank my co-host for the evening, Mr. Jeff Olson, our newest member of the Human Factors cast, cast and crew, where for reading those stories. You did a great job tonight, man. Uh, where oh, can... You, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, the music's gone. There it is. New soundboard, everybody. <laughs> Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to follow your work? Well, if they want to see anything I do, I have a YouTube channel called uh, user slash offlineable. Um, offlineable, it's a word I made up, but that's kind of where I dump all my creative work. Uh, it can be practice or with video and photo editing or just related to my hobbies. Uh, but if you're interested in any of that, go check it out. You might have to find some things you like. Excellent. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again, guys, for tuning into Human Factors Cast. And until next time, it depends. It depends. That's two weeks in a row I had problems with soundboards. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.